Sam Sachs is a senior fellow at the Yale Law School's Paul Tsai China Center, a fellow at New America, and also does corporate consulting work. Today, we're going to be talking all about Chinese data policy. Sam, welcome back to China Talk. Why all of a sudden does the entire world care about the cybersecurity law, people, and whatever else China is doing to regulate data? So I think there are two things going on. The first indication I had that suddenly more than five people were interested in talking about China's cybersecurity law was when Didi, the Chinese ride-hailing app, had its big IPO debacle. And the reason that the Chinese government stated, at least to the outside world, was that Didi had failed to pass the cybersecurity review and was undergoing a rectification related to its data managing practices. And so all of a sudden, this pretty obscure provision of China's cybersecurity law, which I think a small handful of academics and definitely people inside companies that operate in China and were trying to figure out from a compliance perspective how to manage these sort of spate of laws and regulations and standards coming out at that time, suddenly everyone was talking about the cybersecurity review. What is that? Because Didi was in the headlines. And then the other thing that's happened is that we've seen in the past few years, starting the Trump administration, that at the heart of the U.S.-China tech conflict, it's really a lot about data. And again, big name, household name, Chinese company TikTok has been in the crosshairs of that. So now you have more than just you and me and a handful of others following the ins and outs of data policy in China and what it means in the bilateral relationship. So, Sam, before we get into the specific regulations, what are the primary motivations from um, the different Chinese regulatory bodies? Like, what are they hoping to achieve when it comes to data and cyber? Part of the story is entirely domestic. Part of it has to do with the United States and sort of China's place in the global data order, if there is such a thing. So let's just talk about domestically what's happening. Um, one of my good friends, who I don't have her permission to deliver this anecdote, but I'd love to give her credit for it, told me one time that you know she was at, she works in Shanghai and she was meeting with a Chinese company talking about one of the new laws that had just come out, and they were meeting with their Chinese regulator, and one of the questions that came up is, well, who in your company manages cybersecurity? And the answer was the Bao An, the security guard. And I love this story because it is so telling about this is sometimes things are very common sense and there's nothing nefarious, even though I think in the United States we want to make everything nefarious in China. The cybersecurity law, which is the center of this data governance system, which there have been iterations on it since 2017, but the cybersecurity law at its core, I think, comes down to that the cybersecurity maturity of so many Chinese companies was so low that the bow on the security guard was their cybersecurity point person. And I think that there was a recognition that the digital economy is a big part of China's model shifting from sort of low value add export driven growth to this sort of new economy. And particularly now, given all the economic pressure China's under, having a secure online space where people didn't feel like they were going to be defrauded and being able to say someone besides the bow on is in charge of this matters. So I think there are genuine concerns around that. You know, Chinese consumers online have been calling for more protections around how their data is handled. 
The other factor, and this comes out to the the data security law, which took effect 2021, I think there's a massive organizing and inventory exercise going where the Chinese government wants companies to, they want to understand what data assets do companies actually have. Um, Because they recognize that data is what they call the fifth factor of production. It's a strategic part of the economy after land, labor, and capital. And so part of the data security law was just getting companies to look at what data assets are they collecting, acquiring, sharing, and with whom, just so China's leadership could get a hold on, we have this strategic economic asset in the form of data, but we don't really know who has what. And I think that was another big part of it. And there's a significant political power in the companies that have these troves of data and creating a sort of framework around that. So at a moment when I think the Xi leadership is turning towards uh, looking to consolidate its power, particularly over the private sector, data will be a, a main point of focus there. And these laws provide some new guardrails and authorities around the process. So yeah, let's talk about the laws. Maybe we'll do like a little power ranking. What is the one that gets uh, CISOs most shaking in their boots? I like the question of what gets CISOs shaking in their boots. I think that's a great way to look at it because let's hone in on like, what are the big questions around this? Like there are literally hundreds of some mandatory, some recommended, but maybe actually really required, but we don't know exactly, standards around data, around information systems, network infrastructure. What are the things that I think from a domestic or multinational company perspective, what is causing the most concern? I would say one of the big questions is what kind of data will be required to be stored on local servers? And will the Cyberspace Administration of China, China's all-powerful cyber regulator, will they allow outbound transfers of that data? And when the cybersecurity law first took effect in 2017, I think people were really worried about data localization. But the truth is, a lot of those restrictions were not fully implemented. And so many companies operating in China were still sending a lot of data out of the country. They were really operating in that gray zone. When the data security law and personal information protection law took effect in 2021, there was a lot of gloom and doom in the corporate sector because it seemed like that sort of gray zone allowing outbound data transfers was going to go away because suddenly the requirements appeared as written much more strict. So I would just bucket first big issue of concern. Data localization really matters for global operations for companies. The other one has to do with whether the United States will be able to access data that's stored in China for law enforcement purposes. So we often, from the view sitting in Washington, we hear a lot of worries about, will this Chinese software app be sending American-sensitive data to China? Well, in China, they're really worried about the opposite of that. And so one of the most significant parts of the data security law is it creates a blocking mechanism where it says we can actually compel companies to not share their data with foreign law enforcement. Um, And this has been a longstanding concern. There's a hypothetical example that always comes up. Say Microsoft is hypothetical. Microsoft China has a joint venture in China to offer cloud. 
if Microsoft China is collecting data on Chinese citizens, could Microsoft be compelled by the U.S. government to share that data with law enforcement or national security? Even though it's held in China under the U.S. Cloud Act, and I'm not going to get into too many details. Anyway, you see where this is going. Both sides are looking to wall off their data access to the other. So there are a number of areas like this that I think have anyone that's doing cross-border business a bit concerned. So Sam, maybe now's an interesting place to get to TikTok, which I think is the sort of data localization, you know, where are the servers question, which has gotten the most press over the past uh, few years. Are the US and Chinese like just misinformed in wanting to do this? Like, what, what's your view? I think the listeners of this podcast probably have a pretty good sense of where I stand on this topic, so we don't need to rehash that. But what's your take, Sam, on, you know, what does and doesn't make sense from a broader I don't know, national interest perspective when it comes to those sorts of data? I think this is like the blueprint for what the future looks like. In order to operate in one of these, these regions, you partner with a local company that local company serves as your data controller and has complete ability to vet who's accessing the data and where, what kind of online content is being promoted and where. There's some similarities with, say, the Apple Guizhou Cloud Agreement. There's some similarities with a, you know, Microsoft uh, Deutsche Telekom Agreement. And so I think what we're beginning to see is this model, which is what sort of global data flows and operating in third countries uh, of the future will look like. And it's a question of, you know, is this, is this the path we're on? It's an interesting point, Sam, this idea of this model. Um, you know, my personal take is that like TikTok itself is just going to be too toxic to be able to convince enough Congress people that this is something that they can be comfortable with to, to move forward. But I might be wrong. But, you know, even if TikTok isn't able to sort of walk through this door, the idea that something like localized data stewardship ends up being the solution for, you know, any firm operating in any other country in the world. Just the idea of nation states being uncomfortable with foreign companies or even domestic companies following the data controls and regulations that they've put out is a really um, is a really interesting one. Uh, it's sort of another reason going back to the beginning of like why to care about this stuff is that, you know, the, the, the sort of China plus data questions will end up being relevant, not just for companies that are operating in and inside of China, but potentially as you give us a window into the future of what all firms operating internationally will have to deal with. I think that's right. I will say in terms of the environment being so toxic, I agree it is very toxic. But I also understand that these very detailed negotiations with CFIUS have been ongoing and that like credentialed, serious national security, cybersecurity people are part of informing that process. And so if you have a, let's just, you know, let's just say it, you have TikTok as a massive competitor to Meta and, you know, you have a Chinese parent company serving as like one of the most important competitors to a major American social media platform at a moment when we're really concerned about the concentration of power. We're really concerned about misinformation online. We're concerned about data brokers operating around the world. So we ban TikTok. We force a, a sale. You know, that data right now is completely unregulated on other social media platforms. Meta can turn around and sell that data via an open commercial market of data brokers to any foreign adversary it likes. And so what's happened is by funneling everything through a China national security threat, we haven't actually solved some of the core problems that I think are enabling 
social media to really destroy the fabric of American society and democracy. So you had a big point. I'm going to make a little point. Our former boss, David Gordon, once told me this anecdote from the George W. Bush era. So um, if folks remember, Dubai Ports World was going to make an acquisition of an American port. And it was, in fact, like not a scary thing at all. Like they had run the sort of whole due diligence behind it. And like, you know, Dubai was an ally. Whoever presents it goes to uh, George W. Bush and goes, look, look, we have this like great scheme. There's this like really creative thing we're going to be doing. And like, it's really totally fine. It's not a national security risk at all to sell this port to Dubai Ports World. And W goes, sounds great. Can't do it. Sorry. This topic's too hot. I'm just going to, I'm going to stop this deal. So um, this all may be true. But I think there's a way in which the sort of political maelstrom either, either prompts a congressional response to, to force the administration's hand or at the end of the day, the Biden administration just like decides that they don't want to be on the side of a Chinese social media firm um, when, when push comes to stuff and they have to make a decision. Let's talk a little bit about foreign firms in China. Um, what are the sort of special considerations that they're having to deal with in light of new regulations over the past few years? In China's privacy law, which took effect in 2021, there's a sort of obscure provision in there, which I think is one of the most important, which creates a blacklist in response to what is would be perceived discrimination against China by a foreign government. And what this means is multinational companies could be placed on a blacklist where they'd be prohibited from handling Chinese data. What is so important about it is this could potentially impact companies that aren't even operating in China. If you're handling Chinese citizens' data anywhere in the world, say you're servicing another company that is, you would be prohibited under this blacklist. And I think this is one of the tools that China has in its toolkit if it wanted to retaliate against the United States for a number of actions that we've seen or policy proposals in the so-called tech cold war, although we don't want to use that term because I know a lot of people don't like that term. But This is something that I think would have really significant ramifications if they decided uh, to use it. Yeah, it's it's interesting thinking about the sort of response function. Um, But I I wonder if on the software side, if we end up in a worst case scenario for TikTok, what that means for U.S. firms in China. This is certainly something that I would look at. But it is to your point, it's interesting, right? Even in like the heyday in the Trump administration, when Huawei first was in the crosshairs. At one point, we thought that Huawei's lifeline with TSMC was going to be cut off. Even then, you're talking Huawei, Taiwan, uh, chips. It doesn't really get more impactful than that. And I think there's still a sort of interest in keeping flows of foreign investment and talent um, and know-how going into the country. And maybe if anyone wants to try to find a constructive solution here, that might be something to explore. Yeah. I mean, it it is striking that there's been a whole lot of economic coercion over the past five years, but it's all been China relative to countries that are, you know, one half, one third, one tenth its size. And that, you know, that calculus may change. um, But I think you're right, Sam, that there's there's something there that the sort of Chinese government doesn't want to necessarily push into a spiral, which could get even more dramatic on the sort of tech war stuff, maybe just because they think they have more to lose. I think there's still a lot of open questions around how far is this stuff going to go? So I think it's like both sides have put in place the policy infrastructure, 
But I think there's this recognition that at the end of the day, if we take them to their full effect, there are catastrophic effects to the global economy. Um, And I think the question is, how far are people willing to go? And there's still significant debate in both capitals between hawks and pragmatists about where this is going to go, how far to to take these the, the policy infrastructure. Thanks again to Policyware and help support China Talk by heading to policyware.org slash China Talk for more info. Sam Sachs, thanks so much for being a part of China Talk. Thank you, Jordan. Baby, do you love me? Yes. Baby, do you want me? Yes. Was it Yes. Was shanting? Yes. Or yes. Do you want me? Yes. Do you want me? Yes. Was it shanting? Yes. But let shiny. Yes. Are you left with us? Yes. Yeah. 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 Are you left with us? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are you left with us? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you want me? Yes. Was it shanting? Yes. But let shiny. Yes. Are you left with us? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Why you left us? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Why you left us? Yes.